Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and I am your host. Joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, great to see hey, you. Hey, good to see you too, Davey. Mel, we are in the second part of a series that we're doing. It's kind of a, a small series, like a little little couplet, I guess you could call it, on lament. <laughs> we're talking about yes. lament. Our last episode with Molly Huffman, we talked about this concept of, of lament, and we wanted to tease it out a little bit more. And we have a very special guest, Aubrey Sampson, with us on this one. And we're going to focus in on this idea of communal lament. Now, we talk about a lot of different things, but communal lament is something that kind of gets brought out in this conversation. And it's a very, very fascinating concept. I agree. I think that especially having a Western faith and growing up in the United States of America, um, my faith can oftentimes feel very individualistic that Mm -hmm. it's just me or maybe me and my spouse, but um, it's not integrated with the big C church on a whole lot of levels. That's so true. You know, what's interesting, Mel, is that um, there's like, there's four promises that God makes to the Israelite people in Exodus as he's bringing them out of Israel. And he basically says, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, or I'm sorry, bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land first and through the wilderness. He says, I'm going to free you from the, from the Egyptian rule and reign. I'm going to free you from slavery. Then I'm going to kind of get Egypt out of you. He says, then I'm going to, I'm going to redeem you, give you purpose. And then he says, I'm going to make you my people, hmm. which, which brings this connotation that, that part of like our, our identity as followers of Christ is not just a, an individual identity, but it's a collective identity that yeah. God always has this plan and purpose for us as a group of people. That's why we see like the, the church, you know, is the instrument that God wants to use to carry out, make his name known. And the church is a body, a collective of people. And, and I think sometimes we can get confused about this because of course your relationship with Jesus is personal, right? It's got to be a, oh, yeah. a yeah, personal definitely. thing, but that doesn't mean it's a private thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think we can, especially like what you said, in Western American culture, we take on this Lone Ranger mentality, you know, or like the Jack Bauer mentality. It's yep. like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen all by myself. Well, and I think the other side of it too, is like, you know, community probably for Westerners is difficult, but even the go a step further and lamenting, that's definitely mm. not something we're going to do on a corporate level very easily yeah. at all. And so I love the fact that um, Aubrey brings this out and uh, in this episode because I think that this is where um, just Christians in our country where we need to get to be. This is, mm-hmm. we need to move in that direction. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you right now, I don't want people seeing my ugly cry. You know, when you are in these really like despondent places, you don't. It's like that's the part that you don't want people to see, and yet there's an element at which healing uh, necessitates that we open up to people and we allow them, not everybody, but safe, good community that we allow them to see the, the hidden places, the places that we don't want anybody else to see. And um, so I just think it's really important, this idea of community. And especially as an Enneagram 8, where weakness and vulnerability and authenticity, I mean, those things aren't just natural things. I've had to really fight and um, grow in those Mm. areas in my own life. And so um, I have a few, a very small circle of people that I let in and let them see that ugly cry and let them um, speak into 
when things are really hard. But I think um, for me personally, one thing that's helped me grow in a more of a um, communal lamenting is um, just growing in grace. I think as I um, as I'm learning more about grace, I feel like I can be more um, just honest about my sins and how I'm feeling towards God and um, that my position in Him, like there's nothing I could do to make Him love me more. There's nothing I could do to make me love Him or that, to make Him love me less. And yeah. so I can be very real with the Lord um, with where I'm at. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super excited for people to hear this episode. Yeah, I'm super excited for the listener to hear this conversation too. And I, I want everyone to know that at the very end of this interview, in the, the outro section of this, Mel and I are going to offer a couple of practical steps on how you can begin to practice this idea of communal lament and how you can begin to open yourself up in community in those spaces where you're walking through trial and hardship. Uh, before we get into this interview, there's a special announcement that we've got to make. Mel, I think one of the ways that has kind of opened my eyes up to the difference between Western Christianity and other parts of the world is having gone and experienced, especially the origin of Christianity in Israel mm, and, and kind of understanding like the Jewish custom, Jewish heritage, what, you know, the foundations of our faith when it comes to Christianity. And what's really exciting about this is that we are able to open up an opportunity for the Nothing is Wasted community to go to Israel together. Oh man, that's amazing. I count me in. I'm going. <laughs> well, you definitely have to go. You need to go. That'd be so fun. So October 2020, we are doing a Nothing is Wasted Israel trip. I know several of you guys have been asking about this. I put something up on social media several months ago and kind of teased it out a little bit, but we are finally ready to announce this trip and we're going to give access to the link, the registration link in a certain order. So there's a, it's kind of a okay. tiered process in how we're going to do this. Now, before I mention how we do this, you have to know that there, there's only 50 spots available for this trip. And why that's so pressing is because when I just put something random out on social media about who wants to go to Israel, there were over 150 people who were like, yes, me, count me in, I'd love to go. So these spots are going to fill up fast. And the first invite that I'm going to make and give access to the registration link is some previous podcast guests. So I'm sending them all an email. It might just fill up with that. I hope not, because <laughs> I hope you get an opportunity to actually jump in on this. But that could be really cool because there's going to be several folks that you've heard from, that you've kind of experienced a little bit of their life with that hopefully will sign on for this trip as well. But the second... That'd be so neat. The second group of people who are going to get access to this are our monthly partners. Hey, oh, so that's you guys. That's well, hopefully, that should be you guys, right? If yep. you are in our monthly partner program, you're giving a tax deductible donation of $5, $10, or $20 a month to Nothing Is Wasted. You're in our monthly partner program. And so on September 16th, we're going to send out to all of our monthly partners access to be able to register for the Israel trip. And so Israel trip is more than a year away. So that way you guys can save up for it, you can plan for it October 12th through the 20th of 2020. Mel. Okay. Well, Not, this is good. This gives you time to have a baby this year, Yes. <laughs> get acclimated to life with a newborn right. and then gear up for Israel. Um, yes. I had to be clear with Christy. It was not 2019. She kind of freaked out for a second. She was like, wait a minute, how are we going to go to Israel and have a baby in 2019? No, 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 no. 2020. <laughs> okay. 
Glad you clarified. Um, something else that I love that we're doing for our monthly partners, if you are a $10 or $20 monthly partner, um, you get access to all of our interviews, um, our, all the videos, video interviews on nothingiswasted.com slash partners. So um, if you want to see um, all of Davey's great facial expressions as he's interviewing people, <laughs> you definitely need to become a monthly partner. Um, also, feel free to rate and review us or email us at hello at nothing is wasted.com. Um, we just love to hear um, how God is using this ministry to impact your life. And if you have um, even just recommendations or suggestions of people we should have on the mm-hmm. show, we would, um, we'd love to hear from you. And um, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, uh, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm super excited for this episode. Yeah, I can't wait for you guys to listen to this. So let's jump into my interview with Aubrey Sampson. Aubrey, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about your family. Tell us about where you're from and what you guys are doing right now. And um, yeah, all things Aubrey. Tell me all about it. All the things about Aubrey. Um, so where do I begin? I am a mom of three boys, which mm. is really fun. That is fun. Uh, boys are fun. fun. Yes. They're so fun. <laughs> uh, so my oldest is is about to be a teenager. He's about to be 13, which is crazy. Wow. wow. And then we have a seven-year-old and uh, oops, I, this is so typical middle child. I skipped him. I have a nice <laughs> You totally too. skipped the middle child. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's uh, a bad mom. Um, <laughs> my husband and I have been married for uh, almost 20 years. We're church planters in West Chicago. Our church is just three and a half years old. It's called Renewal Church. And I um, am on the team at Church Plant, and I'm a graduate student at Wheaton College and also an author. So lots of hats, but all really Man. good, fun stuff. That's awesome. Well, for those folks who are um, watching this as a part of our monthly partner program, you can see Aubrey and you can tell that she is wearing some incredible (laughs) headphones. Aubrey, which one these, of the is it the middle child that you skipped? That, no, this is a these Fortnite? are my the, my thirteen year olds uh, Fortnite headphones, and they do change colors. Oh. I don't know if you'll see; they move from blue to purple to green to orange. So you might get those of you who are watching get real excited about that. Today. Oh, that is amazing. We just told Aubrey that we were going to be recording this, and she's like, "Wait a minute, what? hold on a second. That's awesome." So. Thanks for being a good sport. We appreciate no that. No worries. It's all good. <laughs> oh, so church planter, uh, writer, um, you're in graduate school right now. In fact, that's how we got connected to you. Our podcast producer, Taylor, she does graduate school with you over at Wheaton. Really cool. And so you guys go way back. I also just learned that you are an Enneagram expert. And friends, I'm telling you, when I say expert, I actually mean expert because in the, although Aubrey, I'm sure you would be humble and say, no, 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 no. You've been studying it for 20 years. You've been studying the Enneagram. Yes. I am not, I don't feel like I'm an Enneagram expert because there are actual experts, but I do have 20 years of experience with the Enneagram and I love it. That's that's nearing that spectrum of expertise right there. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty big. So I'm sure at some point in this conversation, Enneagram will creep its way into it, but you have just pretty recently written a book um, called The Louder Song, and it's about this idea of lament, which is an awesome topic. I really love this topic because I feel like this is something in our culture that we 
do not do very well. But I want you to tell yeah. me a little bit about the the impetus before we dive into some of the content of the book. Tell me a little bit about your inspiration in writing this book. Yep. So we're we're gonna dive deep real quickly here. Yeah. Um, in 2015, so I mean about three and a half years ago now, Kevin and I were opening the doors to our church plant, Renewal Church. And it was this one week in October where um, God was doing incredible things. That mm. the church, we were having our first church service that weekend. The same week, my first book, which is a book about overcoming shame um, through the gospel called Overcomer, that book came out that same week. So Kevin and I were just celebrating like God was bringing our dreams to fruition, right. all these things we had like worked towards and, and prayed about were finally coming true. And I woke up in the middle of that week and just inexplicably could not walk. I could um, wow. put absolutely no pressure on my legs whatsoever. Kevin was actually carrying me around the house. And wow. um, at the time I was a runner. And so I just thought, I, you know, wow, I goofed up my knees or I did something in a recent run. Yeah. Um, but other weird things were happening too. Like I was waking up and my um, fists were closed, like frozen closed for about an hour. And it yep. would take me a good hour to just go like this. And um, anyway, my body was slowly falling apart. And eventually Kevin said, we got to get you to the hospital. Like this mm. is not normal. And I was diagnosed with a chronic autoimmune disease. Oh. So that happened. Um, in the middle of that, um, we received the news that our youngest son had to have spinal cord surgery and he ended up flat on his back for, uh, we had to keep him flat on his back for three months. And then he was in years of uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, which we're super grateful for all of those things. He, we are very privileged because we have great medical care mm. and he's doing amazing now. But that was such a huge stressor and a worry for him on top of what I was going through. And then on top of that, we were in a um, season of deep, deep grief because my cousin Cameron, who um, I grew up with in Texas, we were really, really close, um, like brother and sister growing up. Um, Cameron was snowshoe hiking in Crater Lake National Park, Oregon. He stepped out onto a snow cornice and fell to his death. Oh my gosh. And... Um, that was actually in April of that year, but that week in October was when the park rangers said, we're so sorry. Like we can't, we're not gonna be able to find his body. <sighs> and so it's been four years now and they still haven't found his body. Wow. And so, um, you know, my family was grieving, obviously we were grieving, obviously. And so it was just like, God was doing these incredible things, but then hell hit home. Mm. And, um, you know, I've been a Christian for over 30 years. And, you know, I know in seasons like this, we're supposed to like rise above and more than conquer and do all the Christian things you're supposed to do. But for the first time, I felt like my faith crashed to the ground. Mm. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, I stopped believing in God or anything like that. It was just, I did not know how to make sense of any of these things because they're nonsensical, right? right? I mean, right. Uh, freak accidents like that, they, there's no good answer for that yeah. period. Mm. And so I... Um, my book was born out of a lot of pain and out of a lot of suffering and out of a lot of how do you experience the presence of God when all you can feel is his absence. Wow. Man, you know, what's, this is a little bit of a, um, this kind of putting you on the spot a little bit. I don't know if you've developed any kind of construct for this since then, 
But as you're, as you're talking about this, um, I see this happen a lot, especially in ministry contexts where you see, but really in a lot of people's lives where you see both um, these, like what you were describing, these dreams being fulfilled. Yeah. And simultaneously the deepest, darkest, heart-wrenching grief and, yeah. and walking through those seasons almost at the same time, if not like butted up against each other back to back. Um, again, you're in, you're in graduate school at Wheaton, so maybe you have a little bit better of a <laughs> kind of a, as on this side of things, kind of like, but I look at that, I'm going, is there, how do we make sense of that? You know, because yeah, yeah. I mean, I see that happen more often than not. I know it's, uh, I felt it in my own life. Can you make sense now of that? <laughs> Man, both of these things happening in tandem, it feels yeah. like. Yeah. Um, I don't think I can make total sense of it. I think I have wrapped my mind around some things like, um, I think there's probably a whole theology of paradox that we haven't really explored as a church that um, both things can be true at once often. Yeah. That God can be good and powerful and wonderful and lavish and victorious over evil. And at the same time, evil can be evil. And both propositions can be true at once until the Lord returns, you know, and, wow. and we see the culmination of um, his final victory. I think it's the reality too of that already not yet place that we exist in, right? Like mm, that we do experience, yep. we do experience the, the goodness of the resurrection and renewal. And yet we are waiting until that final return and there's still the brokenness in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, I also never want to be naive to like spiritual warfare that is going on and that there are powers and principalities at work. So when there are victories, the enemy wants to destroy that. But I also think any attempt um, in theodicy, which is to sort of explain like how can God be good when these evil things happen, any attempt comes across as invalidating or insincere when people are actually suffering. Right. Right. You know, I mean, because even my suffering is painful and deep and horrible for me. And yet there are sufferers that have it worse than me. And I right. could never say to them, I can wrap this up in a pretty little package for you. I can't. No. All we can do is trust and surrender again and mm. again and again and look for look for hope and look for God's goodness in the middle of this dark, dark world, yeah. you know? But yeah. I, I, I think that's the question of the ages, right? Like, how do you make sense of it? I, I don't know. But that right. paradox piece, I think you're right. I think you're totally right. Yeah, I love what you said about the theology of paradox. Um, you know, I think we, we don't like to live in the paradox. Right. And I think the key to being able to walk through suffering well is to embrace that paradox and to recognize I'm not going to understand all of these things. I'm, it's okay for me to ask why questions, but, but I'm not necessarily going to get all the answers that I have for this. And like what you said, God is, is both good and yet life is really hard. And yeah. we are, for whatever reason, is in, so, in his sovereignty allowed to experience some of those in tandem to help us to recognize more fully our uh, frailty, uh, our humanity, and, and his divinity yeah. all at the same time. And, um, and I think being able to then, we talk oftentimes about being able to understand and experience both uh, extremes of emotions at the same time. 
Yeah. You know, which you're an Enneagram four, so you can yes. speak a so lot to this idea. That's one thing I'm good at as a four. Yep. Yeah. Experiencing <laughs> these emotions. Okay. Let's, let's take the three of these kind of tragedies in your life yeah. and let's do a little bit of a deep dive. Talk to me about this autoimmune disorder, kind of how yep. that's affected your life. What was your, when you received that diagnosis, what was the, you know, what, what was going on in your heart? How have you had to approach that? Yes. That one they're all tender, but for some reason that one hits me more tender at sometimes than it does at other. Right now I'm feeling a little bit tender about it because mm. I've had kind of a flare up recently. Um, so it's a disease called rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. And um, now people who know about autoimmune diseases, uh, there are lots of things you can do. There's great medication. There's great different dieting things. There's right. great self-care. It doesn't necessarily cure or heal the disease until the Lord decides to, you yeah. know, but there are things you can do to manage and maintain. However, it took me a good year and a half before I felt like I was functioning at a new normal. I still, I've never been able to run again, um, mm. which is very disappointing and like a, a kind of a sense of loss for me. Yeah. Um, and it changed who I was, you know, my first book had come out. So I was kind of on a trajectory of like traveling and speaking yeah. and promoting and that just had to end. Um, it put Kevin and I through the ringer. I mean, that was probably the mm. hardest season of our marriage we've ever been through because suddenly I'm a sick wife mm. and a lot of burden fell to him. But then I'll just be really honest with you. I was feeling um, probably bitter towards him that he was feeling like it was a burden. Mm. And so then that was another layer of like emotional pain we were dealing with. Yeah. Um, some resentment, I think on both of our parts. And then I wasn't the mom that I was cause you mm. know, before I was active and taking the kids to the park and the zoo and the pool and all the things. And, um, suddenly I was mom laying on the couch, falling asleep at 8 PM at night because I had no energy and I was just in deep, deep physical pain all mm. the time. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> Man. um, in one sense, you know how often pain is just a wise teacher and a, as horrible as it is, it can be a good gift, yeah. at least certain types of pain. Um, what it did for Kevin and I was forced us to stop and really evaluate like what's going on in our marriage. We got to get stuff right. Mm. And so for us, I think the good gift of the, um, chronic Ill illness was that we went to therapy we um, worked through marriage counseling really hardcore to get to a place where we were finally like loving each other again and honoring each other again instead of just causing each other pain. Yeah. And we're in a better place than we've ever been. And so Kevin and I often feel grateful that it happened because I think we would have had an okay marriage, but now I think we have a really deep yeah. uh, unified marriage. Right. Um. And then as for, you know, I mean, there are things like even writing books, it's very painful for me to type. Mm. So I, um, it's just an ongoing journey the, and learning what it means to have a body that's limited and learning what it means to worship and abide and feel intimate with God, even when I can't do everything I feel like I need to be doing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now in that journey. Wow. I love the this thing that you said, you know, looking back on it, that it, for you and Kevin, it, it felt like a gift or it feels like a gift now because otherwise you wouldn't have had that time to really do some introspective look into your relationship and figure out what's really going on here. Like we don't, we can't just gloss over it anymore yeah. because this, this pressure that we're feeling is really pulling some things out of us that was already there, but 
we would have easily just glossed over it had this not taken place. Because what, what that is, is that's, um, for so many of our, our listeners, it's the thing that everybody's trying to, they're trying to suppress or shove away is this, um, what's the good that's coming out of this deep, dark suffering, this pain, yeah. you know, what's the, yeah. and I don't want to be as trite as sounding the, you know, sounding like everything boils down to glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. Right. Cause it's right. definitely more complex than that. But there is an element at which when we view things through God's lens, as we begin asking questions and going, Hey God, what are you doing out of this? Can you show me the good that is coming out of this? Yeah. He will reveal those things. And you can look and say, well, otherwise we wouldn't have done this. We talked about this off air. The listener doesn't know about this, but right before the interview, we had a tree just fell down in my yard, you know? <laughs> Terrible. Just, I mean, like massive, huge dead tree that the storm just comes through and it's now l- laying in my yard. I'm sure I'll put it on Instagram or something. But <laughs> the first thought that could have come out of my head was it, it could have been like, oh my gosh, now this is how inconvenient, how terrible yeah. that I've got to, I've got to replace some patio furniture and I've got to cut up this tree and I've got to, oh my gosh, this is awful. One of the first thoughts that came out of my, of my head was, wow, somebody was going to charge me a thousand dollars to take that tree down. <laughs> now I don't have to pay that. Now I don't have to pay a thousand dollars. What a gift. It didn't ruin, there's nobody's been endangered, you know, and now I also have firewood that's going to last me for a while. You know what I mean? Yes. Now, now, I know that seems super trite when we're talking about the idea of like deep pain and suffering. But yeah. what I, the point I want to make is that as you're kind of working through this stuff, you're able to see, I'm not just talking about like an optimistic viewpoint of life. You're able right. to see, wait, there is a gift in every single one of these things that we're going through. If we look for yeah. it, if we hunt for those things, there's a gift. Yeah. Um, tell me about, let's move to the next one. Tell me about what was going on with, um, with your son. Yes. Um, so Nolan was born with um, something called a tethered spinal cord, which is not totally unusual, but it's obviously not normal yeah. or healthy. And so um, he had to have spinal cord surgery at Lurie Children's Hospital in downtown Chicago. We spent a week there and then he spent the hardest part was three months flat on his back. Mm. Um, I think that I've heard recently that the um, the recovery has changed where it's only a month. Babies only have to be on their back for a month. But still, anytime you have a baby who... And, you know, he was six months, so he's crawling and rolling yeah. and and he's a boy, so he's active. And so anytime you're just having to sit there and keep... I mean, we would literally have to throw our leg over him just to keep him still. Uh, that was a very long season. Mm. And then his development after was very slow. I mean, he was very slow to walk. You know how the body's so connected. He was very slow right. to speak, very slow to um, just do, you know, all the things that you think a healthy mm-hmm. growing boy is supposed to do. Um, and again, he, praise God, he's doing so well now. Um, I think it's interesting when you talk about finding the, the good and everything, not in a trite way. I think what that season for me um, made me do two things. One, begin to ask that question. Okay, God, what is your invitation for this? Mm. Like, what do you want us? That. What do you want us to know? What do you want my little precious Nolan to know? Mm. Um, how do you want us as a family to to see you in this? What are you inviting us into? Mm. And um, it was 
not something I would ever wish on anyone who has kids who um, have some developmental struggles. But again, even that horrible month, three months laying flat on his back, that was the gift of just learning to be present Mm. and learning to be right in the moment with my little one looking in his eyes and telling him stories and giggling and smiling. And it was hard and horrible. And yet there was God and mm-hmm. there was God's goodness in the middle of it. And there was God taking care of him so that now he's, he's running and jumping and doing all the great things a, wow. a boy should be able to do. You know? So I've, I do feel grateful even though it was like horrendous for a while. Yeah. And that, I'm sure you also felt this like, I know I would feel it now. I might be just projecting this, but this, this like trying to help my little one sort through something in regards to God, <laughs> even when I don't have the answers to sort through it myself, but like almost trying to be like, man, this is a really formidable time of his life when it comes yeah. to his construct of you, God, like, how is this going to help him understand you better? And how do I need to step yeah. into this to help? How did yeah. you, how did you approach that? Was there anything that you guys did? Were any conversations you guys had in regards to like some of the meaning or why questions yeah. that maybe that came up? You know, I I think one of the things that we often talked about um, was that, and we we say this at our church too. I mean, part of the, like even the nursery in a church, part of the the cool thing about just um, safe adults holding babies during Mm -hmm. that hour during a church service is that that's the baby's first experience of like intimacy and love Mm -hmm. with God. I mean, obviously babies are with their parents doing that. But I think we had that in our mind, like holding him, looking in his eyes, Mm. all of that is so formative for him to say, um, my parents are here. There's a loving presence here Mm. with me. I'm not alone. This kind of weird unknown thing is happening to my body. I mean, obviously he can't process that yet at that age, but I just feel like um, that gift of intimacy and abiding and physical touch is such a good connection even now for him to know that God is always with Mm. him. It's interesting too, as he's gotten older, he has very severe um, food allergies. Like they're Mm -hmm. all anaphylactic and life-threatening. And he even has uh, severe allergies to like dogs. So he's very scared of dogs. Mm. And so he's now seven and we have lots of conversations about... um, why God allowed this to happen. Mm. And he keeps saying, that's a question I have for God, mommy. Why did he give me these food allergies? Mm. And so that's a good place for us to talk about. Yeah, we can ask God those questions. Those are really hard questions. We'll never know the answer to, but we can ask God and God's going to answer us. And um, anyway, in one sense, it laid a really nice groundwork for him Mm -hmm. to learn to ask some hard questions, even at a very young age. Mm. Wow. Aubrey is bringing us so much great insight to digest. And before we get back to our conversation, I want to point you to a resource you may find helpful as you're navigating your own journey. Every month, we've been releasing a teaching video about a topic or principle that I've learned as I've walked through finding purpose in my pain these past few years. This exclusive video is only available to our $10 and $20 a month partners. And this month, I'm tackling some specific questions we get asked often at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. In fact, I just received an email from someone requesting my advice on this particular topic. The gal who sent me this email isn't the only one wrestling with these questions because I believe we all would love to find our calling in life. The questions I'm referring to are, 
How do you know if God is calling you to do something? How do you hear his voice? How do you discern his will? If you want to watch this video to hear about how I approach these topics and gain access to more exclusive content from Nothing Is Wasted, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and set up a recurring tax-deductible donation. Before we get back to my conversation with Aubrey, listen to a preview from that teaching video. The thing that people are asking usually when they're saying, what's God's will for my life or what's God's specific will for my life is, what is he calling me to do? What career path is he wanting me to take? What decision is he wanting me to make? What is the thing he's calling me to do? And and before we can really step into the thing God has called us to do, we have to focus on something else. We have to focus on who God is calling us to be. Okay, so now moving on to the third kind of big tragedy that hit right in the season, and this was, um, you know, the loss of of your cousin. Yeah. And this was, you know, obviously there were other. It was a different type of loss or grief in the other two, but this is yeah. this is a, a you know a major one as well, yeah. and the more conventional form of loss or grief. Yeah. How did you guys? What was that season like? How were you processing that? Man, that uh, that season was really hard. Its season is still really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think the question that I continue. I mean, anytime anytime there's a there's a death that's unexpected or too young or um, tragic in nature. Yeah. You know, those bring that brings up all of the questions that all of humanity has about right. God. How could he let this happen? Right. And I think that was probably my most raw grief was like, I just don't understand it, Lord. Mm. It just is like, I, I don't understand it. I still don't understand it. Um, yeah. I still don't understand it. I can tell you what God has done, which has been incredible in the mm. middle of it. Um he's shown up in just incredible ways to my family, incredible ways to me. And yet there is just a deep abiding grief that the only thing we can do is run to the father with it or Mm -hmm. else we'll all abandon God forever. You know? Right. How, how much time in this, so this like three part. Yeah. How, what's the, what, what was that time range? What was that? What are we looking at right here? So Cameron was missing in April of 2015. In October of 2015, the same time that I was diagnosed was the same time that the park ranger said, um, we're so sorry, like there, mm. we aren't going to be able to find his body. They had still been searching. I don't think in the hopes that he had survived, but I think in the hopes that maybe um, there'd be some closure. Some closure, yeah. Some answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and now it's all just still mystery. And, right. uh, you know, Crater Lake, I think, is the deepest, deepest lake in the United States. And mm. so you make assumptions about where he is. Mm. Um, uh, but I think even for my aunt, his mom, you know, she had to have a funeral for her boy where there was, um, you know, no casket and, right. and no official way to say goodbye. 
and you do other things in light of that, of course. Right. Um, but that's still a piece of like grief that often people need is to be able to say goodbye. Yep. And mm-hmm. so, um, mm. yeah, that was, that was, that was really hard. He, it, April was the anniversary of kind of when we consider him dying. And so, um, it's just sad. I mean, I think some things are just sad and yeah. that's just sad. You know, right. we miss him. My boys miss him. He visited us a lot. He sent my kids postcards from his travels cause he was a pilot mm. And so we still just think, I don't know. I, you know, there's no good answers. And yet, I mean, that's the hard part. There's always that. And yet yet, mm. God has shown up like God, God has been kind. Mm. God has done miraculous things for my aunt and my uncle in their grief. Um, (laughs) this is a little bit, I mean, if you read the book, you know, this story, so it's okay. I think for me to say, and Mm. it, it can be a little bit risque, but I'll go ahead and tell it. Um, Cameron, about a year after he died, a woman came forward and she said, I have two kids and they're Camerons and no one knew. And um, that's obviously messy. And there's a lot there. You can read the book and find out. (laughs) And yet she has been so giving to our entire family. Like my kids have cousins that they play with. I mean, we were just there visiting them. They call my aunt, uncle, grandma, papa. Um, And so here's this where my aunt and uncle thought they weren't going to have any grandkids. Cameron's gone. That's the end. Like here are these two beautiful children that look just like him. And so as weird and wild and messy as that is, it was like God said, here is this good gift that I'm going to give you these two baby boys. And they've been, they were a part of our family, you know, and I can't explain (laughs) that except to say, all right, Lord, you are mysterious. Very mysterious. And so thank you. you know? Yeah, absolutely. That'll blow up. I mean, that just took a landmine into just about every kind of <laughs> really neat packaged Christian theology that you can have right yeah. there. But God's yeah. redemptive purposes out of complexity and messiness. And yeah, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So out of these things, then you decided to write on this topic of grief, specifically yes. this idea of lamenting. Yes. Because it's they're, they're, they go hand in hand, but it's it's different in terminology. So uh, talk to me a little bit about what did you lay out in this book? What is this concept of lamenting? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you two things, kind of what started me on the lament journey. But lamenting for those people who don't know, it's really kind of um, known as an impolite prayer mm. or an impolite plea. Um, there are actually more lament psalms in the Bible than there are praise psalms, but not everyone knows that. Mm. Um, and I think it's because lamenting, suffering, grief is just a very human experience. Right. Um, but uh, in lamenting, we see David do this. He says, God, how long? How long? How yeah. long? In lamenting, we're often asking God that question. How? God, how mm. could this happen? God, how is this going to get better? God, how long is this going to last? God, how could you let this happen? And I think the incredible thing to me is I began um, to start my lament journey, which I'll go back and talk about in just a minute. Um, the fact that God not only gives us permission to talk to him like that, but he actually has given us the biblical language that he himself spoke. Like Mm. we have a God who laments and invites his people to lament with him. And to me, that was one of the most healing things to know. We actually have permission to throw this stuff at God, messy, awful, hard stuff. And it's not going to push him away. In fact, somehow in his mystery, God is going to use our lament to draw our hearts closer to him. And um, lamenting was honestly the tool that I needed to get through that season of grief. Yeah. 
I, you just said it. You said so. I'm reaching up behind me right now to grab a Bible because I've been reading through the Psalms in my personal quiet time, um, and I read through Psalm 22 the other day. And um, many scholars believe that Psalm 22 is the Psalm that Jesus quoted from the cross. Oh, yep. Because you've got the very beginning of it. Verse one is, "My God, my, my God, God, my God, why have you forsaken yeah. me?" Which we know there's accounts that. You know, he spoke yeah. that. But then at the very end of Psalm 22, you have, um, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn for he has done it, yeah. which is, it is, it is finished. Um, from what I understand is this idea, you know, and um, I haven't done a lot of digging into the Hebrew language of it to see if that is, you know, like that to Stella style or whatever, but this is, many scholars believe this is what he, so yeah. this is a Psalm of lament. Yep that Jesus spoke from the cross. So what you just said is that he invites us into this language that he uses himself. Yeah. And that we it is see not... Jesus lament all throughout the New Testament. That's a huge yeah. one on the cross. He laments in the garden. I mean, Jesus obviously cries out to God, which shocks people, but Jesus himself lamented. Why? So we see it all throughout scripture. Why is it that we maybe don't recognize it for what it is? Why is our culture yeah. so... Av- have such an aversion to this idea of lamenting our Christian culture. You know, I mean, we're supposed to, yes. um, of course we understand why, you know, our, the, the outside of the Christian circles, that culture, yeah. you know, maybe doesn't understand the concept of, of lamenting, but from a Christian standpoint, we should, yet we don't, we see it all throughout scripture and yet we're not entering into it. Do you have explanation as to why that is? I have some thoughts about why that is. Yeah. Um, I think at least in America, and I might even go so far as to say like people of European descent in America, mm. that um, we have inherited that sort of like, pull up your bootstraps. We want to hear the <laughs> right. mountaintop experience. Mm-hmm. We want to get to the other side of our pain so that we can like wrap a pretty bow around it and preach a good sermon on it and have mm. an awesome conference on it. And it's just, I feel like it has not been in our DNA as a church and it has not been in our culture as a church. Mm-hmm. Even all of our songs are like praise and worship songs. And that's so good. I mean, I, there's nothing right. wrong with that. And yet I feel like we have totally rushed past mm. people's grief and suffering, even our own. And even in scripture, we've rushed past it to get to the other side. Right. And I think we've probably caused some damage unknowingly doing that. We've we've ignored voices of people who have suffered all around us for a long time mm. in our rush to like get to the mountaintop and get to the victory. Right. Um, and again, both things are true. There is mountaintop and there is victory, but we can't get there without acknowledging that there are sufferers around the globe yeah. that need to be validated and heard, you know? Mm. Would you say that we um, oftentimes don't get to the other side because we haven't entered into lament. lament. So that that would be my probably whole thesis, right? That okay. I, I think when Break you jump to me. the other yeah. side without lamenting, um, it's probably not the truest sense of getting mm. to the other side that you can get because there's not real healing that's taken place. A Band-Aid has been slapped on, mm. but we haven't allowed God to like enter into those deepest, deepest places with his healing power and his love and his intimacy, unless we're willing to admit that we have the pain and and need him there, you know? And even again, even Jesus, before he was resurrected, there was suffering, there was 
lamenting. There was such deep darkness. Mm. And then he was resurrected. And then he was raised victorious, but he didn't skip over the pain and the suffering. No. uh God entered in. I mean, that's the whole story, right? That he entered in with suffering people. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, this again, this is so cliche, it's always darkest before the dawn, but I, right. I think even in, in the narrative, the story of Jesus, of scripture, of our own lives that we see, that it's like right at that deepest, darkest, most painful, how long is this going to last that we, as we're entering into that, that we begin to see this breakthrough, that we begin That's to see right. this like, you know, stone rolled away type um, experience spiritually. Um do you, this is really, do you think there's something within even the way that like, you know, as a church culture, what we're doing on, on Sundays, and let me preface it with this. So as, as someone who's a preacher, yeah. we are taught, you, you, you open up with questions and you end yeah. with definitive theological, here, here it is, here's the line yeah. and here's your next step, right? Yeah. This is kind of like modern culture of te- there's nothing wrong with that inherently by any means but i wonder if that impedes our ability to sit in the questions and sit in the lament one of the things that i'm discovering about jewish culture in um especially more you know ancient jewish synagogue type worship experiences is there were a lot more questions than there were answers right and they would sit in those questions. They would ask the controversial questions. They would li- let them linger. They would, st- and do you, do you think that maybe we're struggling to s- s- sit in that because of just kind of the, the culture that has been created around us? And how do we break through that? So I think some things we, we, um, the, uh, r- last summer, I want to make sure I'm saying this right. Last summer, there was a really violent murder in our community. Some teenagers mm. killed another teenager. It was horrible. Mm. And as a church, we said, um, cause part of lament is not just, uh, grieving over personal suffering it's communal suffering, it's national suffering, like yeah. the Hebrew people did often, right? like the prophets often did. They're not lamenting just for their own pain, but for the pain of their people. Mm. And so we said as a church, we can't pretend like this hasn't happened. Mm. And so we gathered with other churches in the community and had a night of lament, really honestly crying out to God, God, how could you let this happen? What are you going to do about Mm. it? And I do think, I mean, you can't do that every Sunday morning or people will not come to church anymore and they won't have hope and (laughs) they won't face, (laughs) you know, the hard things they're facing with like that victory mentality. But I do think there's some wisdom. I mean, even the Jewish people now have Tisha B'Av, which is like the saddest day of the year that mm-hmm. they celebrate every single year to remember those who've gone before them and right. suffered. Right. And so I do think there is some wisdom in perhaps a few times a year in the church calendar saying, tonight's the night we're going to get together and lament communally to God. Mm. Tonight's the night we're going to ask the really hard questions and just stop and listen. Mm wait until God shows up tonight as a pastor, I'm going to say all, I'm going to say some really hard things and I'm not going to like give you your one, two, three application at the end. I'm mm. going to ask God to do that for you. Like, I, I think there's some things we could do in the church calendar to honor people's pain and our community's pain and our nation's pain yeah. and international pain a little bit better, a lot better than we do now. Let's be honest. Yeah. But again, you can't do it every Sunday, but I think right. we can get better at it for right. sure communal lamenting. 
Yeah. I, I got to be honest with you. That almost sounds a little bit, uh, well, not almost. It sounds very uncomfortable, almost a little scary. <laughs> because when you think about lamenting, you think, I mean, I, you th- I think oftentimes about this like one ugly cry, two. Yes. The spaces that I'm like asking God questions that, all right, let's go back to the Enneagram. I'm a three. I don't want other people to know I'm asking these questions, right? Right. It's like, right. I, am I not going to look spiritual enough? Am I not going to look, right. you know? Right. What benefit is there with this idea of communal lamenting, even that that even goes transcends even further beyond yeah. just just personal lamenting? Yeah, I mean, I think one it pulls us out of our very isolated, privatized faith, right? Like, mm. now, granted, I have a personal relationship with Jesus that I love, and like that matters to me, and I know that matters to the people in your church. Right. Um, but we're too private and we're too personal. And we forget that actually we've inherited a communal faith, like mm. that God saves a body of people, right. you know, and God right. calls a body of people and God heals bodies of people like right. that, that we're not only this, we're also this. And so I think in one sense, it's just a step of saying like, you're not alone yeah. in your grief. I actually think a lot of people who have walked away from church because they haven't felt comfortable expressing some of those hard questions communally mm. would actually feel permission to come back home, mm. you know, because now here's a safe pace, safe space to say all the things you want to say. Wow. And then I think the other thing is where, you know, and again, I'm talking from a very privileged first world context. So this is not true right. across the board, right. but we do, I think, forget that there are a, a history and a host of sufferers who have gone before us so that we can know the gospel yeah. so that we can move forward so that we can, you know what I mean? And so I think just to remember that we're part of this whole community of, um, you know, the cloud right. of witnesses that are right. cheering us exactly. on mm-hmm. and also our brothers and sisters across the globe who are just mm. suffering deep pain and oppression Mm-hmm. Um, I think just to remind us of that is really important for our faith. Well, it puts it into perspective what we're going through. Right. Because we, we know there's always somebody, no matter how dark what we're going through is, there's somebody who is going through something worse or has gone through something worse. Yeah. And needs us maybe to step in and encourage them or bring them to the Lord or remember them. Right. You know? right. And there's something valuable to, to recognize those things. It's not about comparing pain by any means. In fact, it's right. quite the opposite. You know, comparing right. pain is futile. But it is about recognizing that, um, you know, your pain is not the end-all be-all. Yeah. That, that Because if we, if we look inward, <laughs> if we think that we, our pain is the biggest thing that there is, yes. then that ends up being a very self-destructive thing. But this, totally. there's a recognition of like, okay, there is one who's gone through deeper pain than any of us will. His name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then there are others around the world and who have lived throughout history that have walked through tragic, horrific things. I don't yeah. know about you, but that is, that is what began to help me put some meaning behind um, the tragedy we walked through. Yeah. As I began to think about, wait a minute, there have been saints all throughout history who have suffered horrific um, at, at the hands of, of men and women. I mean, just horrific things. We read yeah. about it in Hebrews chapter 12, you know? Yeah. We've got this whole hall of faith, and in the end it talks about those who, you know, were flogged, who were put in prison, who were sawed yeah. in half, who were, you know, and it's like, okay, that kind of puts things into perspective for me. Totally. Yeah. So the this idea, lamenting, what practically did that look like for you as you were walking through these yeah. these tragedies in your own life? How did that flesh itself out? Yeah. Um. 
So this is kind of a long story, but can I tell it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? Totally. Okay. It's, it's, and Taylor knows this, your producer knows yeah. this. It's the story of how the title came about, but it's also actually what led me to start lamenting. Okay. Um, so I was, um, the middle of the season, I am grieving. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to do with God and pain, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just sort of stuck in the middle of it. And a friend invited me to a concert. Um, so we went and it was this like little theater in the round near downtown Chicago. Mm. It's very cool space. And we got into the theater and immediately the lights went dark and a screen projected from the ceiling and it flashed a trigger warning on the screen. Mm. And, um, the screen started to display images of things like we were just talking about, um, suffers from around the world, child soldiers, mm. hungry children, um, women being oppressed. And it was real. I mean, kids walking out from school shootings, like it was very dark. Yeah. And I actually turned to my friend. I'm like, I think we got to go. I, you know, I remember, I don't know what to right. deal with. I don't know how to deal with this emotion right now. Right. And, um, then a choir actually walked on stage and they were dressed in like funeral robes, like ancient brown yeah. robes. And they started singing this really low, slow, ancient funeral dirge. Mm. So the mood in the theater is heavy all mm. of a sudden. And um, what I didn't realize is that there was actually another choir that was surrounding the entire audience. They were dressed as audience members. Oh, wow. And in the middle of all of that, they stood up and they began to sing over us this joyful, triumphant, victorious song. And the crazy thing is that the disturbing images are still being displayed and the suffering funeral song is still being sung, but this hopeful song was growing louder and louder and louder. And in the middle of that, I felt like God was saying to me, Aubrey, this is what I do. I don't need you to pretend like pain and suffering don't exist. I don't even need you to make sense of them. I just Mm. need you to trust that I am at work singing a louder song Mm. over them. Wow. And um, the craziest thing, I mean, not the craziest thing, but one of the incredible things about that experience was I didn't know that concert was actually a lament. Mm. And so the choir director had planned all of that to just embody like, this is what a lament looks like. You say all of the hard things And yet you finally get to a place where God's hope and God's victory and God's goodness are louder. Yeah. And um, so (laughs) that led me on a lament journey. And Mm. what I began to just do practically was um, even things like I grabbed a journal and I wrote the word ikha on it, which is the Hebrew word for how. Mm. And I just began to ask God all of my how questions like David did. How long, God? God, how are you going to fix this thing with Cameron? I don't understand. God, how is my body ever going to experience healing? How is my marriage going to be okay? And it was just that act of like, hear God, these things are yours. Instead of avoiding them, instead of pretending like everything was okay, instead of doing what I had always done, which was like, try to make sense of it just to say, I can't make sense of this, but I can give God the questions and wait for him to show up. And something that I say in the louder song, which has been really true even now, it's not like God went through the checklist and said, (laughs) here's the answer for all these things. But I am telling you in some meaningful way, God met every single one of my laments with his presence and with himself and with his goodness. And so um, I, he's been good to me, even in this really dark, dark stuff. Man, that's amazing. Um, So in the book, you know, obviously that's the way that you did this is you, you kind of took this 
journal and you started asking some of the how questions. Yeah. What are some other ways that people can enter into that? You know, if they find themselves right now in this place where they're in the middle of grief, they're in the middle of tragedy, they don't understand, they really want to, um, they really want to apply this and put this into, yeah. you know, they don't want to just rush through, put a bandaid over it. But are, so, are there some other ways for people to, to lament does, does it look uniform? Does it look the same? Or are there variations based on who we are and how we, do you have some principles guiding that at all? Yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about it. I, I would say it's probably not uniform um, in any way and probably related to the Enneagram. In any way, your <laughs> typology feels comfortable expressing yeah. pain to God is the way to lament. Mm. But I do think there are certain things um, like, obviously we have the, the laments all throughout scripture. And I think just beginning to even open up the Psalms, like you're saying you, you do. And if you can't find the words for your own pain to find some of those lament Psalms and just begin mm. to pray them aloud to God, you know, yeah. or begin to pray them to yourself if you don't feel comfortable yet praying them aloud. Um, but I think finding some communion with the writers of scripture and the Holy Spirit's words mm. that he has given to us, I think is really powerful. Mm. Um, and then I, I think there are some things like, at the end of the day, as you know, because you've walked through deep grief, you have to at some point go on with life and keep right. going to the grocery store and you know, uh, doing your laundry. And so I think that there are ways we can be really graceful and gracious with ourselves, like giving, giving ourselves, making an appointment with lament. I know that mm. sounds a little cheesy, but I think that's actually really powerful to say like, okay, on this day at this time of the week, I'm just going to let myself cry in the shower and mm. bawl my eyes out and say everything I need to say to God. And then it's not going to solve anything, right. but pray that you experience his intimacy. And then you have to, you know, get out of the shower and dry your hair and go on with your life, right, you know, right. for, until you have your next appointment with grief. Yeah. Um, I, those are two just practical things that people can do. That's, I think that's a really powerful concept to make an appointment with it because Grief is one of those things that comes out of nowhere and hits you. Totally. And I mean, you'll be doing some random activity and all of a sudden something triggers and it's like, bam. But I wonder if making an appointment is kind of a preemptive or yeah. I don't want to say preventative because you're going there anyways. It's not preventing right. anything, but it is a preemptive like uh, way to begin to embrace it and engage in it that that perhaps even minimizes um, the, um, the amount of times it's going to sneak up and bite you, you know, um, yeah. now, no doubt there's going to be times that that happens. I mean, right. there's, it's so, there's no it's doubt. so dynamic. There's no way really to control that. Exactly. But I just, but I just wonder, I don't know if there's any way to even quantify that or measure it, but I just wonder if, if making this appointment yeah. really helps to spread that out a little bit or to begin yeah. to, because I think God knows, he knows that we've got stuff going on. I mean, we say this often that if, if we were, if, if God allowed us to feel the weight of the full weight of grief of what we're feeling, oh. it would, it would crush us. So he spreads yeah. it out for us yeah, in his grace true. and in his goodness. And so, um, he knows that we've got to get up and live and we've got yep. responsibilities that we have to take care of in the midst of yep. all of it. Many people aren't able to take months off of work to spend right. time lamenting. Our culture doesn't set that up. The Jewish calendar right. would set that up, but our culture doesn't. And so right. in that, I think God meets us. And if we're kind of create some of these spaces to 
to go preemptively into it, um, I think that would really help us to move really well through that. What would you say to somebody who is afraid or intimidated to do this? You're married to a seven. So I'm thinking about all the Enneagram sevens out there, right? But someone's like, whoa, (laughs) hold on. I don't know if I would know. Right, right. My husband's a seven. And so um, (laughs) he definitely, like, it's not his first nature to be like, yes, I want to sit in my pain today and express it to God. Uh, Fours, Um, you're okay with that. I'm okay with those a three-wing four, you know? Right. This is Uh, what we do as fours. Some of our best writing comes out of that. It's like, here it is. I'm just going to sit here and and be introspective for three hours and look out a window and write. (laughs) And bring beauty into the world. Uh, Um, So I think I can, like for Kevin, for instance, um, he, some ways for him to enter into lament and and pain. um, He's very good at starting with other people's pain. And so um, for issues of injustice, issues like racism, issues like sexism, issues like poverty or trafficking, Mm. um, if you can't begin to lament your own stuff because that feels intimidating or weird or too contemplative or whatever, Mm. it's very easy, I think, to wrap our minds around um, lamenting for someone else's injustice, Mm -hmm. you know, and just starting there, like expressing frustration to God over that. God, how long are you going to let these people suffer like that? Yeah. What, how are you going to show up? Lord, please come into that situation and do something. Hmm. And that's, again, very biblical. We see that all Absolutely. throughout scriptures. Um, and then I think there are things like, I mean, this is going to sound a little silly, but for some people, it's helpful to have those vocabulary, um, like cheat sheets or emotional vocabulary mm-hmm. charts. Oh, yeah that say things like, I feel depressed. I feel sad. Mm -hmm. I feel disappointed. I feel um, upset. I feel angry. Mm -hmm. I feel um, abandoned. And even just begin to say, okay, yeah, I recognize this emotion. This is what I'm feeling today. God, I'm feeling this. What's the invitation in it from you? That's a very easy way to sort of tiptoe into the work of Mm -hmm. lament and, and giving all of that stuff to God. Man. That's so great. Um, I'm so, Aubrey, thanks so much. This is, this has been an incredible conversation. I, um, I want to, I want to make sure the reader understands the, or well, the reader of your book, eventually the listener understands though, that, yeah. um, this is not a book just for people who have gone through or going through deep, deep tragedy. This is for anything that causes those questions to arise about God. It can seem trite compared to maybe what Aubrey's gone through, yeah. or what we've gone through. Like maybe your pain feels it's like, well, what do I need to lament over right. my my job loss or my but I, I think that if we don't enter into that, then those things will begin to stack up on themselves and they they will ambush us later. They will end up causing some kind of um, further pain. Totally. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, by the way, because it does sound like, oh, this book is for only someone who's experienced yeah, death in their no. life or something. But I was actually just with a group of um, of uh, doctoral students from Wheaton mm-hmm. College that are getting their degree in psychology, and they actually said, um, grief you grieve over anything you've lost. Yep. So that can it. be a job. That can be a house. That can be your car yep. that got wrecked and is totaled. That can be your boyfriend. That can be your, you know, anything. Your patio so, furniture that the tree yeah, just yes, fell on exactly. top of, you know? <laughs> your, you know, your internet went out and you're frustrated. You know, obviously yeah. there are levels of grief that sure. are deeper than others, but um, this book is not just about those very horrific 
tragedies, but just about any sense of pain yep. or questions we have of God or spiritual doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, one of the things I do talk about in the book is that like, if you ignore the stuff in the attic, the house is going to get stinky, mm-hmm. you know? And I think wow. that's it. You can't, you just said it so well, but you can't skip over those things or it's mm-hmm. all going to pile up. And at some point you're going to explode. You yeah. Know? That's so good. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come on and have this conversation with us. And, um, and uh, thank you for what you have, you have discovered out of your pain. It's going to be beneficial to so many people. It already is. I know it was very beneficial to sit here and just listen to you dialogue about this and minister to me so, so much. So oh, I just appreciate Thanks the, so much for having me. I really oh, appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, I really absolutely. love what you guys are doing. So thank you. Well, tell us how the listener can connect with you guys. Tell us where we can find the book. Um, Yes. Great question. Um, the book, you can go to the louder or aubreysampson.com. The book is available wherever books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, christianbooks.com it's on audible. So, um, I'm reading it. So that's fun. If you want to listen, <laughs> nice. um, you can connect with me. I'm on most social media at obsamp. And I love connecting with people. So find me, connect with me. And then if you're interested, we're in the Chicago area. If you're looking for a church, you can go to bringrenewal.com. We're a renewal church in West Chicago. Awesome. We'll put up as much of that as we can possibly put up on our podcast episode page. So you guys can quickly reference it. But again, Aubrey, thanks so much for taking the time. Yep. Thanks again for having me. Davy, that was such a good interview with Aubrey. Mm. Um, I feel like her story, it was so encouraging to see her optimism and her hope through um, all of the trials that she has and is currently walking through. And um, yeah, we talked about this on the front end, but just the idea of um, communal um, lament that she brings mm-hmm. up. Um, we we mentioned that we would kind of be talking about some practical steps. And um, some of the first things that came in my mind is... Um, is that it just needs to happen. We just, and I'm a doer and I'm like, let's just make this happen. <laughs> and so um, I think if this is not something that is um, customary in your church, I would, or your faith community, I would talk to your pastor or um, your faith leaders. And uh, I just think about the verse that says where two or three are gathered in my name, I hear them. And mm. just the, um, how beautiful it is when all of the saints come together in unison and cry out to God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what my thoughts are, but what, yeah. what would you say? Well, and, and the thing is, is like, I think we can kind of, it can be a daunting thing to come together and do this as a community because we're like, well, what should this be? What should we lament? You know? Well, obviously if there's a tragedy that happens in your community, that's an obvious thing. So you're going to, you know, whether it's something that hits as close to home as like your own personal tragedy, or if mm-hmm. it's something that happened in your, in your city, your community, you know, some kind of a, a devastation, then you can pull everybody together. Um, whether you're the person that experienced that loss or not, could be an instigator to pull people together and just say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to lament this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's just a power that happens. I think the Holy Spirit does something really powerful in uh, the collective group of people calling on God together. We, we had kind of a, in our small group several weeks ago, we didn't, I wouldn't say it was a formalized lament, but we just, there was some spiritual attack going on in our small group, several different people who were going through some really difficult things and some losses and some hardship. And we just felt, man, let's just come to the Lord together and let's 
let's ask the Lord to do something, a healing work in our small group. And, mm, and let's ask that. the Lord to, and, and it was a powerful thing just to pray together, sit around a circle and pray together. And at the end, everybody's crying and, you know, we got more vulnerable than we probably ever had gotten before with each other. But I think it galvanized something within our little community right there. And so I would say if you're looking for a place to start, start there. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's somewhere in your church and start with scripture. There are, there are in the book of Psalms, there are Psalms of communal lament. And so um, there's, uh, I believe it's seven of those Psalms, Psalm 44, Psalm 60, Psalm 74, Psalm 79, Psalm 80, Psalm 85, and Psalm 90. And you can kind of begin just by reading those Psalms of Lament together if you want to practice this. And, and every time you are stepping into that space of, of lament, usually it kind of follows a, a three-part structure. And that is one, to address God. That's the first thing, just an address to God. Hey, God, we, we are gathered here because this is what we are. This is the purpose of what we're trying to do here. The second is a description of your distress, like, I know God already knows what you're, it's like, why do we need to tell God what we're dealing with? Well, he, he wants to, he wants our prayers to be specific. He wants to, and he'll, he'll bring specific answers in that. And I think, I think we need to see the inner working of the miracle that God's going to bring and the healing he's going to bring by being specific about these things. God, this is what mm-hmm. we are feeling and this is what we are undergoing right now. And then asking the third part, petition God's action. So ask him to move on your behalf. Ask for healing. Ask for reconciliation. Ask for restoration. No matter how, if you're praying for something as you know large as you know something like racism in our country or whatever it is, or if it's something that's a lot more on a, a micro scale, and that's a, a tragedy that you're, you're experiencing in your own personal life. Whatever it is, God wants to intervene and interact mm-hmm. with you right there. And so I think these communal lament sessions or gatherings can be very important. I think that's really good stuff. Thanks, Davey. Well, what a good episode. Um, Before we sign off, we just want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last for providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Um, You got to look him up. He's um, on anywhere where music can be streamed. So um, something I'm really excited about is next week starts our mental health series. Yeah, we've started doing some series here and there, and we're going to start a series on mental health. Yes, three episodes. First one begins next week. Mm -hmm. So here's a little clip from next week's episode. I've been having these crazy symptoms for the past year and a half. Um, And it's been such a difficult wondering in the past year and a half. Like, Mm -hmm. what are my symptoms meaning? Um, What's going on? I'm exhausted all the time. Um, It's been so frustrating lots of unanswered questions, which unanswered medical questions can just be mm. exhausting yeah. on their own. Um, and just seeing the Lord and being like, well, what's going on with this? Like, who am I right now that I am so exhausted all the time mm. and that I feel like I don't have the energy to do anything. Um, and at different points, um, different doctors that I had gone to did different tests. Um, and at different points, they each asked like, um, like, do you think you have, or you're depressed? And the times I've been asked that, I've been quite indignant on the situation mm. saying, um, uh, like, I have a good life. Thanks very much. And um, I love what I do. I love where I live. So um, thank you very much. I'm not depressed. Um, mm. My circumstances are great. Um, so then 
that's been my answer Yeah, because um, I had equated circumstances as being like, oh, there's no, re- no way I could be. Um, and then this past October, it just kind of, everything came to a head. Um, and through the wisdom of a great friend who just asked like, man, all these symptoms you're having, like, do you think it could be? Mm. And for some reason, of all the times that's been asked, hers just clicked. It was like a puzzle piece that like finished the puzzle. And it was like, oh, oh, that's, that's what this is. 